Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. Word came through on my phone. Initially, it came from the Southern Star news people that Ian Bailey had collapsed in the street in Bantry, in Barrick Street in Bantry, and it wasn't looking good for him because by the time that alert was up, he had been unresponsive, according to eyewitnesses, for 20 minutes. And I I happen to mention it here in our own WhatsApp group. It didn't look good for him. Um, And Ian, Ian Bailey passed away yesterday afternoon. He was pronounced dead not long after that happened, in fact... I spoke twice to Ian Bailey uh, last autumn. Spoke in September and I spoke in October. In September, he had been admitted to Bantry Hospital. He spoke to me from Bantry Hospital after having not one but two heart attacks in the course of a couple of days. He'd been stabilised and he'd been told at that stage that he had a serious heart condition that would need treatment over the months to come. And I spoke to Ian Bailey from his hospital bed about that experience of two heart attacks and did he know his health was that bad and and all of that. But we spoke, as you would do, we spoke about the Sophie Toscan Duplantier case. Do you ever think of Sophie's family? And you, you, you say you want the answer. Well, I, 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 I'm very, very sympathetic to them. Um... The thing about Sophie's family was they were assured very early on in the investigation. Um, the Irish police knew who had murdered her, and that person was me. So they bought a false narrative, and I can understand their, you know, their point of view. And, of course, their own legal system in France added to that in 2019 by convicting you. Well, the thing, the thing about French law is basically if you're accused of a crime, you're guilty. It, it's quite the opposite of our common yeah. law. Yeah. Your solicitor, Mr. Bottomer, has explained that to me more than once, I may tell you. But I felt I had to ask you the question anyway. That hangs over you too, I suspect, Ian, that you have this conviction. Yes, in another legal system. Yes, in a legal system completely different to ours. But you still have this conviction hanging over you. I, I do, yeah. And, you know, it's not a nice thing. No, nobody would want that. And uh, and look, my, my my hope and prayer has always been that the truth would come out. My hope and prayer is that before I'm dead and gone, the truth will come out. And the truth is that I have nothing to do with this terrible crime. I was about to ask you that to finish. It's your earnest hope before you go to meet your maker that you go mm. to meet your maker as a man cleared of suspicion. That would be your dream, wouldn't it? It would go a long way to putting a big smile on my face, I can tell you.
That was the second last interview I did with Ian Bailey. I'll give you a clip from the last one in a little while. But let me go to Paul Byrne, Southern Correspondent with Virgin Media News and indeed occasional presenter of this here programme. Paul, you're there. You're, you're one of the one of us that was there since since day one. I answered the telephone call from Eddie Cassidy to the newsroom here at 96FM on the 23rd of December 1996. I answered that call telling me there'd been a murder in West Cork. You'll go back that far as well, don't you? Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Can you hear me? Indeed, I can. Yeah. Far away, let me hear. Yeah, PJ, um, I, I wasn't on it from day one. Uh, I came to it a, a number of years later, I suppose. Basically, I came to this story when Ian Bailey took on a number of newspapers. He took them, he sued them for defamation. He accused the newspapers of labelling him as the murderer. And that was played out in the courthouse on Camden Quay uh, over a period of a number of weeks. What initially started as a libel defamation trial really ended up being uh, a murder trial, if you want, because Mm -hmm. the accusations and the allegations that were made during this trial were sensational. Um, You had people giving information that Ian Bailey had confessed to the murder. He denies doing so. He said anything he said was always black humour. Um, I suppose he had a very strange and dark sense of humour. It was nothing to joke about. A woman had lost her life, but he maintained always that he was innocent and everyone was picking him up incorrectly. Incidentally, he lost the case against the newspapers. Uh, He went back to court again for the second time and he threw in the towel shortly afterwards and uh, gave up in the the fight against the papers. Mm. What did you make of him over the years, Paul? I know you met him. You met him many times, as did I. What did you make of him? An extremely complex character, uh, a very intelligent man. However, intelligent he was, he was somewhat very foolish because of the things that he would be saying. And he really did leave himself wide open to people labelling him as the man who killed Sophie Tusk on the Plantier. I know guards will say that the evidence points to him from day one. Um, I think if that evidence was there, he would have been tried by now. But a very um, intelligent man, complex character, droll sense of humour, dark sense of humour, and for the, as we'd say in Cork, at times, certainly not the full shilling. <laughs> I, as I said, I interviewed him many times. I met him a few more times. Unusually for a man who was in the spotlight, for all the possible negative reasons a man could be in the spotlight, he never refused an interview, ever. He did for many, many years. I, I think I was one of the first people to interview him for television. And uh, we built up, I suppose, a working relationship during the libel trial in Camden Key and the subsequent trial in Washington Street. Um, he shunned the media. But then after that, once he started talking to the media, you will often hear the word a media whore. And he, he, he courted publicity. There were times that he would ring you to say, I happen to be in Cork, or I'm doing this in West Cork, if you're around and I'm available for interview. But I think he also saw it as an opportunity to try and get his point of view across that he was, in, well, that he maintains that he was an innocent man. Um, but again, he did shy away from the media initially, but then afterwards he mm. became 
Um, some fella said to me recently he was a thorn in his side that he would ring him so often asking this particular reporter, do you need anything? Do you want me to comment? Uh, it's coming up to this anniversary or that anniversary. I'll say something if you wish. Yeah, I had a few texts like that from him as well over the years once mobile numbers were exchanged. Paul, thank you very much. Paul Byrne, Southern Correspondent, Virgin Media News. The last interview that Ian Bailey gave to this radio station anyway, uh, I'm not sure if he gave any subsequently to other radio stations. He probably did because he gave a lot in the latter years of, of his life, was in October of 2023 when he was back in hospital again after another bit of a scare and he'd been told that he would need surgery, he would need stents and that at the time he wasn't strong enough for the surgery. And we spoke again on the opinion line. My great concern is I'd like the truth to come out i.e. I had nothing to do with this terrible crime before I'm dead and gone. You know, they, I have this sort of, this condition, this heart condition that comes on me and it's got quite frightening and, and, you know, they said I was quite lucky to survive. Mm. You and I have spoken a number of times. I've always enjoyed our conversations. If it was a thing that this was the last opportunity we ever had to speak to each other, Ian, what would you say if this is well, the last I'm- time we ever get to talk? Well, I just reiterate everything I said before, really, that I had nothing to do with it. It would just be nice for myself and other people, including my ex-partner, if this could be established who, you know, who it was. Mm. who, who it. And it's quite interesting as we speak, and we have to be careful about these matters. You notice that there was a man arrested last night near a Cork City, and you notice that man's name did not appear in the media. Did, did you notice that? Yes, I did. And now when my, when my name, when I was arrested on the first occasion, my name was all over the media. You I know, remember that what, very well. And that's what led to a lot of the, you know, difficult situations that I had to deal with. Mm-hmm. Ian, I hope that your heart settles down and I hope that you'll be uh, fit and able for the surgery. I wish you well and Thank perhaps you. we will speak again. Slán. Ho- hopefully so, hopefully so. Gurumila Margaret and Slán Lass. And that was the last time I spoke to Ian Bailey. He did send me a, a text wishing me Happy Christmas, incidentally. I'm sure he probably sent out a load of them. Um, 0818969696. Now, Frank Bottomer has represented Ian Bailey for many, many years and uh, joins me now. Frank, um, did you become friendly with him over the years? Good morning. Morning, PJ. Uh, professionally friendly I'd say uh, with, a, with a kind of a, a, a kind of a, <laughs> a hybrid from you know starting out as his sort of, sort of ah, dealing with whatever it is that I had to deal with and then because I suppose we were uh, involved in a lot of these kind of things over the time I would have had perhaps more contact with him uh, than you know the normal circumstance so yes we wouldn't have socialised or anything, but there were so many times that we spoke to each other that I suppose the the connection sort of went past. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, 
you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Ordinary professional contact to straying in towards friendship and that hmm. hybrid sort of... What was the, when was the last time you spoke to him, Frank? About a week after Christmas, uh, he rang me. We had a bit of banter about something, but he, the actual purpose of his call was just to tell me how he was. He, w- he would contact me quite regularly. Sometimes I'd see calls coming in from him at all sorts of times, and I wouldn't be able to take them for other reasons to do with work or family or something. So to my regret now, I would maybe not always have been able to get back to him. And the last communication I had from him was a very, very uh, sad, actually, um, voicemail that he left on my WhatsApp, which was stunningly prescient when I listened back to it yesterday after I had heard about his death, where he was telling me about his impending death and uh, just asking me a couple of questions about a couple of things, which I... I much regret that I just didn't get back to the guy, and but I have the, I have the voice WhatsApp anyway to mm. <laughs> just to remind me of him, you know. So I, I sense Frank that you liked him. I did, yeah. I liked him. I did like him, yeah. He was a likable fellow, in a way that people might not have realised. I also appreciate that some people would have regarded him as dislikable uh, he he always had that dual situation but I spent so much time with him PJ over the years like all the cases between the uh, libel appeals which Paul Byrne wrongly attributed as him losing he actually had some success in those but I don't want to keep your listeners waiting too that was the first case I did from us those libel appeals they were actually settled and he received something along the lines of uh, an acknowledgement that he had been wronged but so, like, I was in, in and out with with that. I was in and out with the, you know, the, the case we took against the state, which was, you know, that big long production, which I, I think, other than, you know, not rewriting history. I've read several timelines this morning, Frank, and I'm still trying yeah. to get my own memory around it. <laughs> yeah, I know. And then we had all the up and down to Dublin for the extraditions. So I spent vast numbers of hours with Ian Bailey, you know, just sitting in a car driving to Dublin or something. He's a very engaging fellow, even when I'm sitting in the car with him and I want to listen to the radio or listen to some music, the guy would keep on talking. 
he talked a lot, you know, sometimes, and I've said it in other you know, shows over the years, actually. God above, sometimes you think, would you ever just shut up and you know, just get get away from it? But no, nah, he, he couldn't. He was actually uh, quintessentially English as well, by the way. You know, we must we must remember, Ian was an Englishman mm. uh, living in Ireland. He adored Ireland. It's a funny kind of a thing, like what Ireland did to him is unconscionable in many ways. But yet he stayed here, even before that extradition stuff kicked off in 2008, 9, 10. He stuck with us. He liked us. He liked us as a people. If an Irishman in England had suffered what he has suffered as an Englishman in Ireland, you would imagine that there would be uproar over here for an Irish citizen to be treated in the way that, you know, I believe he was treated over here. But no, he stuck with us, Mm. stayed in West Cork, you know, all that kind of stuff. So he liked Ireland, but he was quintessentially English accent, the whole lot, the stiff upper lip, as somebody was mentioning there. Oh, yes, for goodness sake, and all this kind of stuff. So mm. he was, uh, he was, a, he was a, a, an unusual character, there's no doubt about that. He studied law and achieved quite, quite high results in his studies. Bright fellow. He was, yeah. He sure as hell put me to shame. All I got was an old BCL degree in 1977, or what it was. Ian Bailey managed to achieve a BCL degree, an LLB, and a master's in law. So, like, you don't get those by, you know, being, you know, Mm. kind of not too bright. So, yeah, he was a bright guy, well able, very good student. I think well thought of up in UCC. I often spoke to lecturers of his afterwards who actually were helpful in relation to extradition and related matters, you know, down the line. And I read papers that he wrote uh, in legal, you know, things, and they were very erudite. And yeah, he was a, he was an intelligent man, no question about it. And in may I say, he was a journalist originally, and he mm-hmm. did have good credentials in his journalistic career, particularly in the UK before he came across here to Ireland in the early nineties. So yeah, he did have credentials. I don't want to particularly revisit the case, but you never had any time for the French conviction, did you, Frank? Not at all. It was it was generated uh, on the back of the Irish evidence. I mean, I, I I didn't go to France. I was following it in the media as much as anybody else. But like, it was an absolute farce. It was a farcical show trial, no more, no less. But that's what they wanted over there. That's their system. They had gross disrespect for our system. They knew that he was not going to be prosecuted here. As a friendly European country, you'd have thought that that would be sufficient, that we would have a, you know, a mm. good and independent DPP system of prosecution here. But absolutely not. And they were shadowing our country from 1997 onwards, which we learned when we you know, began to defend the extraditions. Mm. The French initiated a criminal prosecution or a criminal process against Ian Bailey in France as far back as 1997 almost knowing you know, that Ireland was distrustful or you know, not trustworthy and so that they, they would you know, do certain things to keep the pot on the boil over there. And all they used over there was the evidence which was absolutely rejected by the DPP over here repeatedly, 97, 1998, 2001, up until 2008 when it was eventually decided that this file was going nowhere as mm-hmm. far as the concerned and then they go they get cracking well was it ever so, yeah the, did you ever think uh, frank that one of the reasons the dpp decided not to go with the prosecution was that me and bailey was 
virtually unprosecutable in that there was no way you could possibly get a jury. One is entitled to a jury of 12 people who've never laid eyes on you in their lives. Not possible. No, I disagree with that. Sure, if that was the case, any trial or you know which which had preceding publicity of any consequence couldn't occur. That's never a problem in this jurisdiction. No, absolutely not. What I do say, by the way, of course, as a part of the strategy to frame him way back along the lines, was that he was put out there in the media. Your interview just confirms it with him a while ago. What was done to Ian Bailey? He was identified as the suspect going into the police station and coming out of it. So yes, that was grossly unfair. But that, if there ever had been a prosecution, that would have been dealt with by a trial judge charging a jury that they're not to be influenced by, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, no, that wouldn't have happened. No. Okay, yeah, and I, I do remember that very, very clearly, Frank, his name on all the newspapers. And I remember at the time, as a journalist, even thinking, mm, we don't usually do that, do we? No. Do you think this will ever be solved Frank, now that Ian has passed away, do you think we will ever know what really happened on that night in December 1996? Uh, no, I don't. But I mean, I suppose one lives in hope that there is the chance that, you know, the cold case review, which I think was still, you know, hovering around him, but maybe hovering around other potential suspects as well. I mean, the chances of, I've said it, there are two, there are two you know, ways in which something like this could happen. Number one, getting information from some source, even late in the day. Number two, a more modern form of you know, scientific or forensic assessment of what might have happened, though that you know, possibility is receding. Now, in respect of number one, information, there must be information out there. Somebody knows, either in this jurisdiction or in some other jurisdiction, something which could lead to a prosecution or the, at least the identification of a proper suspect. Number two, you know, the generation of DNA, forensic evidence, matters of that kind. Now, insofar as Ian Bailey is concerned, he had long since provided all of that material to the police and he, there was no forensic link whatever between him and the crime. So he's gone. So that leaves anybody else who might possibly be a suspect but I, I do acknowledge that the chances of identification of a proper suspect are, are you know, very, very slim at this stage. I suppose they, they always exist, but they're very slim. Okay. Frank, I thank you very much uh, for your time. Frank Bottomer, long-time solicitor for our Ian Bailey, uh, who got to know him very, very well over the years and represented him in many, many cases. Thank you, Frank. I've just There are two superb articles this morning, one in The Examiner and the other... In the Echo. Now, I've been through other papers and they all do it justice, but I think the Echo probably wins for me. It's on page three and it's got a super timeline of all the events since January of 1997. And it's also in the, in the examiner, but they're like, they start with as far back as Marie Farrell. Do you remember Marie Farrell? She contacted the guards to say she'd seen a man near Kelfoda Bridge, near Sophie's home. In the early hours of December 23rd. And it began with that. Ian Bailey was arrested in February. Questioned, released without charge. Arrested again in January 1998. Rearrested and again released without charge. And the articles take you right through to June 2022. When Gardy announced a cold case review. And the press conference in Skull marking the anniversary. That they were looking for further information. Anybody who wanted to come forward could come forward. Corks 96 FM. 
Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.